Last week, I mentioned um, some objectives. You know, we'll, we'll probably expand on this. Maybe someday there'll be a sermon on this. You know, what's the objective? Why do we have a worship team? And why do they play songs that we sing along to? What's the objective? What is it that we're trying to accomplish in that part of the service? You know, why do people come to the altar? What, what, why do we do what we do in church? I don't have all the answers to that that I want to share with you today, but I do know that the Lord has shared with me the reason that we preach, right? I, I sat with him and I said, God, well, <laughs> sat with him, right? Me and God, we were on this little chair. Not like that, but I sat with him and I prayed and I said, God, I don't understand, you know? Sometimes I wonder if, if this whole preaching thing isn't just a habit we got into, but I don't know that it's getting anything done. And he told me it is getting things done, that my word has to come forth. I said, but where's the fruit? I don't see the fruit. And I, honestly, the, the fact that I don't see fruit doesn't mean there isn't fruit, right? But he told me, he said, there are certain things, there are strongholds, fortresses that are built up in the church as well as the world, but in the church that are so big that you can talk to them, you can talk to them, you can talk to them, they're not going to come down. Prayer is what takes the big ones down. It's when we get on our knees and on our face and we cry out to the Lord, Lord, the church is lukewarm and it has to be stopped. We think we're okay. We think we're rich, but we're not. We're wretched and we're naked and we're poor and we're blind and we don't even know it. Those come down when we pray. Those come down when we fast. So why do I preach? He said, you need to preach. The word that I heard from him is that we take the scriptures and we paint a picture with the scriptures, right? We, we pray and the Lord leads us to these different scriptures and things and we, and we try to paint a picture with scriptures. And from the picture comes revelation, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who brings us into all truth. He brings us to revelation. So, so through the words of God, we paint this picture that brings to our hearts revelation. And then we say, okay, I have this revelation. This is the picture that I see that God is painting of his truth. Now I take and evaluate my situation, myself. And I see, does myself look like the picture that the Lord is painting? In whatever area he's speaking. And if it's good, then you praise God for the power of the Holy Spirit that brought you from to wherever you were to that place of likeness with Christ. But if you see there's a gap, then what you do is you take the revelation and you take the, the reality and you pray, Lord, the gap has to close. Now, the important thing to remember is if this is reality and this is truth, you don't close the gap this way, right? Because truth doesn't move. Reality has to come. Reality. Situation has to come and meet truth. So as a gap gets closed, we don't compromise truth so that there's no gap. We don't say, okay, God, well, let's make this less because it's easier for me. We say, this is truth, this is me. Lord, help me to get to you. All right? That's why we do this, what we're doing. Whew. I feel so joyful. I hope you feel joyful. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I say I feel like I'm going to blow up. I think I am. If some gets on you, I'm sorry. There's paper towels and spray cleaner in the back. You can just wipe it right off. Okay, the next, oh, this makes the target prayer even better. The next passages in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm not going to preach on today. These are the ones that said that you're blessed if you're persecuted for Jesus and, and that stuff. I don't have real good revelation, and I don't really, I don't get persecuted that much, right? So I decided I would skip them till I have revelation. And nobody knew that I wasn't going to go there, right? But the, target, the Holy Spirit did. And he, and he went there to where I'm at, or I went where he's at. I don't know. Somehow we got to the same place. I'm thinking maybe that 
Pastor Salito, when he speaks next Sunday, he might have some experience with persecution for the name of Jesus. His world is different than our world. Matter of fact, I forgot to tell you, Wednesday night is going to be a different Wednesday night. This Wednesday night, um, Salito and Sandra, if she wants to, are going to share with us um, a, a message if he wants to, but more the idea is he's going to share with us about what it's like to minister in their world and, and the, the glory that they see and the challenges that they face and the things that are different in a, in a place where the devil has been worshipped for eons and eons of time and the, the spiritual battle is so different than the spiritual battle is here. So that's Wednesday night. I hope you come, and, and maybe we'll even have an opportunity. We can hear what he says. We can ask some questions. We should have a really excellent time. The other thing I want to tell you about the Miambos is that they were told, I, I'm not sure I didn't get this part of the story, but it was hard to get them here, very hard to get them here. And, and, and there was like, you know what, maybe it'd be better. We can just give you some money, and you can stay home, but you'll have the money. And he said, no, I want the blessing. I came for the blessing. So we have to be praying for them. We're going to pray over them. We've got we to sow blessing into them because that's what they came for. They came that God's church would bless them. Okay. All right. Back on the game now. This week, I'm skipping forward to Matthew chapter 5 through, through Matt, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Salt, light, and good works. Let me read them to you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's three parts. It's salt of the earth, light of the world, and then let your light shine. That's the way I'm going to approach it. Three parts, and we'll bring it all back together again. The first part, the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. You and I are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. In the Gospels, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the synoptic Gospels because from three different perspectives, they tell many, many, many of the same stories. So you can find some of these verses, if you read something and you want to get a little different perspective, you can might find it in one of the synoptic Gospels. In Luke, Luke recounts Jesus saying these words. That was Matthew. Now this would be Luke recounting Jesus' words. Therefore, salt is good. But if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is either, or it is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. See, Jesus declared that we, the church, is the salt of the earth. And if you were to go back to biblical times, you know, first century times, salt would have been a seasoning that, that you, would, you might use to add flavor to your food, but salt was very expensive. And, and only the richest people might have used salt as a flavoring, as a seasoning for their food. What salt was primarily was a preservative. So if you were... Um, you know, you're going to feed your family and you killed a, a sheep or a goat. And maybe your family could only eat half of that sheep or that goat. 
the other half would be wasted if you didn't have salt because it would rot and it would decay and it would get stinky and nasty to the place where you couldn't eat it anymore. So in the absence of we, we today, we would use salt except we have refrigeration, which does the same thing. It prevents that decay, that rotting process from happening. But back then they used salt. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying to you that you're the salt of the earth. You're this preservative that he's put into the earth. He says in a little bit, I'll tell you, he says, you are salted. You get salty. And there's a way that that salty comes in you. But in this earth, this decaying, rotting earth, he planted you, the church, to preserve them. That's what we do. We're a preservative, right? I had this weird thought, I don't know if it's a good one or not, if it's a good analogy, but it's bacteria that causes meat to rot and decay, and it's salt that the bacteria must not like, or maybe it kills the bacteria, I don't know, but, but it's salt that deters this bacteria from having this process. And if you think of, of the world, think of the United States of America, and if you're old enough to remember the 1950s or the 60s, I don't know, not so much salt, but... But, you know, if you remember back in our history, our culture was very much influenced by the church. Matter of fact, today, all of our morality, all of our cultural values come from the Bible. Now, people that would hold those values that don't know, you know, that would say, ah, you know, that's all a bunch of baloney, I don't believe in church, don't understand that the value system that they carry today is based in Scripture. Right? Now, as the church... For whatever reason, and I don't know, I don't know if it's succumbing to political correctness or wanting people to like us, or I don't know what it is. But as the church has become more tolerant of things of the world, the preserving factor, the saltiness has gotten less. Now look at this, look at this country today. The things that, that we would consider rot and decay, based upon what God tells us, are growing and growing and growing because the saltiness of the church is decreasing and decreasing. It's because of compromise. It's because of it's not because of the power of the devil versus the power of God, right? I mean, you can't even compare. God is infinite in every way. The devil is finite. However, however glorious he was made before he fell, no matter whether God's gifts are without repentance, and maybe he still has those powers and abilities. He's not measurable on a scale next to God. That's not the issue. The issue is the church having lost its saltiness. So what does he say? He says that if you lose your saltiness, you're good for nothing. So if we decide that we're going to be the church, and we're going to have Holy Spirit, but we don't care about the things of God, right? That, that comes next, the, the light of the world. If they don't see something then we aren't salty. We've lost our saltiness. And it's interesting to me, in the way that Jesus presents, you know, Matthew chapter 5, we call it, the, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he starts with these things, things that are um, poor in spirit, mourning over sin, meekness, gentleness, humility, righteousness, the person that would, that would cry out for righteousness, mercy, pure in heart, peacemaking. We talked about them in terms of characteristics. They're defining, they're describing what the church looks like. What he didn't tell us, when he first told us, he told us, he, he, he's kind of drawn us in. Listen, if you have these characteristics, there's blessing. You know, you will inherit the earth. The kingdom of heaven is yours. If you're merciful, you shall receive mercy. If you have a pure heart, you'll see God. 
All these things are these blessings that come with these characteristics. What he's telling us now, he just moves right on. The very next thing he says is, you're the salt of the earth. When are you the salt of the earth? When you look like those characteristics. That's the saltiness. That's what saltiness looks like. Those characteristics are what saltiness looks like. Romans 12 says, in verse 2 it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. See, you are the salt of the earth. You're salted by God. I'm salted by God. We have to have this objective to remain salty. There's pressures. Maybe that's what those last two verses are about. It's like these pressures are going to come to you. Persecution is going to come. People, you know, in the news are going to say, oh, you know, Christians are all judgmental and everybody hates Christians. And, it, and what are you going to do? Are you going to say, yeah, a little less salty so that they'll like me better? Or are you going to stand and you say, no, this is the truth. You don't have to believe it, but I believe it. And I'm blessed because I walk it out. Because remember, the end of the sermon, Jesus says, on that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this stuff? Prophesy in your name and and." Do miracles. And he's saying, mm, I never knew you. Then he says, the one who is like the wise man is the one who heard these words. This is, the, this is these words of mine and actually did them. Is the wise man whose house is founded on the rock. But the one who heard them but didn't do them is like the foolish man whose house is in the sand. And when the rain and the winds and the storm came, the foundation gets washed away and great was that house's fall. This is the words he's talking about. Saltiness is what causes this world to not rot to the place where there's still hope for it. If we lose our saltiness, the world may not have the opportunity to come to know Jesus in a saving way. So you might ask, if I got saved, if I'm born again, am I salty just because? I mean, does salt just happen? When I made the confession of Jesus as Lord, and I came to that sincere place of, faith in my heart, that he was the absolute full payment for my sin that separated me from God, did I become salty? Let me read you some scriptures. John the Baptist is speaking. This is Matthew 3.11. He says, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. So John the Baptist is baptizing these people into this baptism of repentance. Because he's preparing the way for the one that's going to come next, which is Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Amen. Come on. Holy Spirit and fire. Honestly, God gave me revelation just this week. I prayed and prayed. Lord, I don't understand. It's not the Holy Spirit's fire, which, you know, that's a great baptism, but it's the Holy Spirit and fire, this baptism of fire. So then you read in Mark chapter 9, Remember the synoptic Gospels? This is the time we heard Matthew, we heard Luke. Now Mark is in the middle. This is the way Mark talks, or Jesus talks, Mark writing down salt. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So John the Baptist came and he, and he did this baptism into repentance. So that, so that as you were baptized into repentance, you would be prepared through that repentance to receive the coming one, which was Jesus. But Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. So what's the baptism of fire? 
He says, you'll be salted with fire. Okay? The, the baptism, the salting and the baptism in fire is this cleansing process that we have to go through to become salty. When I first became a Christian, I had a great job. I had a beautiful wife, good kids, nice house, lived on the lake, everything. There was nothing I needed. I was not poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But I I didn't see any need for God in my life. So I went to church with Teresa, went to church with Teresa. What do I need God for? I see people that had less than me, you know, because I measured by the world standards. And, And God had to salt me with fire to get me to this place of recognizing my depravity. The, the, the things that I didn't have that were valuable and the things that I thought were valuable that I had aren't even mine if he doesn't let me have them. How many people had big houses and cars and boats and went on vacations and, and had all these things five years ago that live in an apartment today? Because they were a bum? No. Because they weren't careful with their job? No. Because they were never theirs to begin with. They were things of the world. It's going to burn up. It doesn't matter. So what he's saying is that that baptism in fire is how he salts you. You're salted with fire. When the fire comes, you have to make a decision. Because it's... I almost said sucks. It stinks. It stinks to be... Oh, man. I hate it when that slips out. It stinks. The gold doesn't want to go into the into the the thing and get all cooked hot in furnace. It doesn't want to go in the furnace because it's 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 uncomfortable. But if it'll if it'll go in the furnace, the heat will raise the junk to the top, and then it can get scraped off by the guy who knows how to make gold perfect. You know how they know when the gold is right? The guy who is doing the work looks down at the gold, and when he sees himself a perfect reflection of himself, he knows that the gold is ready to go. The impurities are gone. That's, that's what happens to us. We get salted with a little fire because there's a spot, right? We're going to be the bride. And, and, and the process right now for Holy Spirit is to help get every spot and every wrinkle off of Jesus' bride before she's presented to him in eternity. So, uh-oh, there's a spot. Oh, how do we get that spot off? Uh, pimple cream doesn't work. you got to go in the fire. And in the fire, he looks down and he sees that spot was on your face, but there's no spot on his. Oh, spot's gone. Take you out of the fire for a little while till the next imperfection gets to, needs to get dealt with. Baptism of fire, salted with fire. You're not salty. You have Holy Spirit, but your saltiness is small until you start to go through that process of refining. <laughs> 14 and 15, the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. I don't know if I want to deal with losing your saltiness. There must be a way to lose your saltiness, right? He tells us all this stuff. And then he says, you're the salt of the earth. You are what I've placed there to keep it from rotting and decaying. But then in all three synoptic gospels, he spends way more words on saying, be careful that you don't lose your saltiness. Because how in the world do you get your saltiness back if you've lost it? Now, he doesn't say you can't, but it's like the rich man entering the kingdom of heaven. It's easier to pull a camel through the eye of a needle than it is a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. doesn't say it's impossible. So I think, to me, at least my revelation is, I just want to stay salty. 
Baptize me, baptize me, baptize me. I want to be salty because he doesn't say I can't get it back, but he says how. I mean, if he's asking how, maybe he's figured that out since 2,000 years when they wrote this, but I just as soon stay salty, right? Okay. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on losing your saltiness. It, it looks like you could become unsalty. And if there was a manure pile, he'd say, oh, oh not, not even good for the manure pile. So we don't want to go there. We want to be salty. Stay salty. <sighs> Keep praying that I breathe. Thank you. Get excited. I'm so excited today. Verses 14 and 15, the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, I'm going to paint a picture with Scripture. Some of you are going to have a hard time with this picture. But you need to hear what the Word of God says. And then you need to believe it. And then close that gap. Get that lying devil out of our heads. It says that where I'm going, you can't go. You're going there. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and here's the part you want to hear, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. Your new self is in the likeness of God. There's there's three persons of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Right? Your new self is in the likeness of God. Okay, now, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. But we all with unveiled face beholding, oh, this one, I get in tingles. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Transformed into the same image. The same image of what? The glory of the Lord. Okay, so your new man is in this image of God. Your new man has the ability, if I'm understanding what the scripture says, to be transformed into the same image of God's glory. Romans 8 and verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. You're about to hear your destiny. Listen. To become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. You are called to become conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. Now hear this. In John chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus says, Well, I am in the world. I am the light of the world. And then in Matthew 5, 14, he says, You are the light of the world. See, when Jesus was here, he was the light of the world. The, the, the flame, I think, that would stoke that light, because remember, he never stopped being God, but he didn't access his divinity while here. He, he walked as a man. He walked like you, he walked like me. That, that godness inside of him was Holy Spirit. Now he's gone. He said, it's better for you that I go than that I stay. Why? Because the comforter, the helper, the paraclete will come and fill you. Now instead of one God-man 
with two legs, can be in one place at one time, could be transported, but he could be in one place at one time. Now, there are billions of Christians. Why? Because he went. Holy Spirit came. You, your new man, woman, is in the likeness of God to reflect his glory, be transformed to the image of his son. Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For now on you know him, and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? If the world has seen us, they should get a glimpse of Jesus. An ever-increasing glimpse of Jesus. As we salt, he salts us with this fire and changes us into the likeness of Christ. See, I think it's same true with us. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you're getting a glimpse of Jesus. You are the light of the world, but your light is that which is reflection of God in your life. That reflected light is only visible when you're reflective. So, full of spots and full of wrinkles, brand new, maybe there's a little bit that reflects off of you. But as the Holy Spirit works, with your permission to work inside of you, for God's will to be done in you, you get shiny. You get like Jesus. And the glory that you have is the reflected glory off of you as you become more like Jesus. They see Jesus in the reflection. It's his reflection, just like the gold, off of you. I, I, I'm going to read you what I, what I wrote down here. The valley is for the shadow of death, not the light of the world. We don't aspire to the valley, but we must aspire to lowliness. Lowliness in humility and servanthood. Only through our going down, shedding self, and being robed with Christ will we be lifted up like a city on a hill and a lamp on a stand. See, that's the process of becoming like Jesus. If, if the guys came to Jesus, the mom, right? The mom of um, James and John came to Jesus and she says, Oh, hey, king, sweet. I got these two sons. So when you get on your throne, I'd like son number one here and son number two over here. And he's like, hey, listen, those seats I don't give away. They're not mine to give. But listen, here is how you get exalted in the kingdom. Is there a toilet that needs scrubbed? Scrub the toilet. Is there a foot that needs washed? Wash the foot. Is there, is there, gosh, I don't have any more. It's low things. It's serving things. He says the one that will be exalted the most, God, only if God exalts you, it's because you've chosen to be the slave of everybody else. That's where kingdom exaltation comes from. Can you put the picture up? See, there's a, there's a picture of trees. The real trees are on the top. The water and, and then the reflection. It's, it's, like a, it's like a mirror image, right? That's, that's, the, that's the picture. Always in the nature, in the natural, before in the spiritual. If you look on here, Jesus is the trees, right? If you're going to make a picture. Jesus is the trees and that's you in the water. 
Why is that reflection able to look like that in that picture? Because the water is still. Right? The water is still. See, Jesus was the perfect reflection of the water, or of the water, of the Father. And when the water got nasty, what did he do? He told it, be still. When, when you are walking this walk with Jesus, and, and, and you feel like, oh, Lord, I don't, I don't look like you. I got all these concerns and all these worries. Your water's not still. You have to come into rest. You have to come into this place of faith and peace and rest in Jesus, understanding that it's not by your works. God works you from the inside out. It's his works from the inside out that causes you to look like Jesus. And, and when you've allowed him to come and to wipe off those stains and to smooth out those wrinkles and you find your peace in Jesus, then that's what happens. You get this beautiful reflection because we should always be in peace. His peace he left us, right? If we don't have peace, it's because there's somebody lying to us. It's somebody blowing across our water trying to get us to come into agreement with something that's not true. We say, no, Jesus left his peace for me. I'd be anxious for nothing. His burden is light and his yoke is easy. Silence that one that blows across your water. It gets still and there's the reflection again. I like that. That's a good picture. Here's what happens to many, 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 many people. You're the light of the world. You're the reflection of Jesus Christ. And what's the first thing that comes into your mind? You looking at me? <laughs> because the devil jump into your ear. And you say, but what about this? That doesn't look like Jesus. And what about that? And that doesn't look like Jesus. Spot, wrinkle, spot, wrinkle, spot, wrinkle, spot, wrinkle. Shut up, devil. Yes. Yes. Shiny spot, shiny spot, shiny spot, shiny spot, shiny spot, shiny spot. Walk in those shiny spots. They got shiny because he did it. You think he can't do the rest? You are the light of the world. Let your light shine. Shiny spot, shiny spot. Wrinkle. Shiny spot, spot. Shiny spot. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Verse 16. I'm all happy again. I think I like it when you agree with me. (laughs) Or Jesus. (laughs) Well, all three of us are in the same spot right now. Us and Jesus. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I only have one thought for this portion of this scripture, and that's this, and it's a deception that's in the world, and it's a deception that's in the church, and it gets us to to do nothing because the devil gets us to believe that the absence of bad works is the presence of good works, and it's not true. I didn't murder anybody today. Praise God. What did I do good? I didn't murder anybody. Okay, great. Hungry person. Hasn't had a meal in three days. Did I feed him? No, but I didn't murder anybody today. See, the absence of bad works. We think, okay, oh, you know, it says don't do this, don't do this, all this out of my life. Whoo, good works. Look at me. You can see my absence of bad works. That's not what the scripture says. Scripture says the presence of your good works. Let your light so shine in the things that you do that... That the people will see and your father who's in heaven will get glory. <clears throat> see, the kingdom and the world are upside down from each other, right? Well, wait a minute now. You give 
half of your income to, I don't know, ministry in Flint, your church. Your church, your church has a gravel parking lot. When it snows, all the rocks get pushed to the edge. You know, air conditioner doesn't work. You get freezing cold when you come in. You're sweating bad when you leave. But you send a tithe of your money to the church in Flint. And you send, uh, I don't know what the percentage is, to, to serve the, the, the ministry in Africa. But you haven't cared for yourself. People won't come to your church. Well, well yeah, yeah, that's your way you think. But see, our good works, this is the way it is. We consider others at least as important, if not more important than ourselves, because that's what Scripture teaches us to do. right? I don't know if we're actually doing that. Maybe we need to give it all. I don't know. But the point is that, that it's our actions. When somebody gives them the opportunity, it's like, wow, you know, you guys got money. Why don't you put a parking lot or why don't you, well, whatever, you're building. The insurance company won't even insure the thing over there that's got so much of our stuff in it because it's such a fallen down mess. Well, maybe you give them the money after you fix the building so that, you know, you can take care of your stuff. Well, no, we take care of God's stuff and he takes care of our stuff, right? Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works, not the absence of your bad works, but the presence of your good works that will glorify your father who's in heaven. I ask myself this question, does anybody know I'm a Christian? I mean, you know I'm a Christian, right? But in my day-to-day life, how is it, Father, that I would glorify you? How is it? What's the good work you're calling for me to do right now, in this minute, in this moment? If I'm walking with you all day long, there's something for me to do. What is that good work for me to do? And then help me to be obedient, This is going to seem dumb to you. It's going to seem really dumb to you. But before I became a Christian, right, when I had the house on the lake and, and the nice job and all that, I used, to, I used to play racquetball. I love racquetball. I was competitive as a kid, you know, played sports and wrestling and football and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, as I got out of high school, because I wasn't really that good in wrestling and football, but I loved the competition. There's none of that. There's just no outlet for that. And then I found racquetball. And I was a good racquetball player. I'd go to tournaments, and I, and I could play at a high level and, and win trophies, and I love racquetball. And then I became a Christian. And serving the Lord and full-time job, they made no room for racquetball, so I quit playing racquetball. And um, now I can play racquetball again. I don't, I don't have the, the burden of working at Hewlett-Packard. You guys are all so well-adjusted. You don't keep me busy 100 hours a week. So I said to Treese, hey, listen, you know, maybe I could play racquetball again. Would you mind? You know, could we afford if I joined up to the racquetball place and started playing racquetball? And she said, no. You know, she knows I need exercise. It's good exercise. So I go to play racquetball. And it's so funny. I, I find my racquetball bag. There's shoes in there. There's socks in there. There's everything. It's just like I put it away the day before. So I go up and play racquetball. I'm a little rusty, but it's kind of like riding a bike, and I'm starting to play better, starting to play. I mean, this has been going on for a month, maybe. Starting to play better. I'm Played a guy. I played a guy last week, state champ in the A division of 45 years and older, which you wouldn't know to look at me, but I'm actually older than 45. <laughs> Honestly, it's true. I'm 53, right? He's the state champ for, I mean, I might even be in an older age group than 45. I beat him three games out of four. Tuesday, I, I joined this league. I play in this league, and I'm playing this young guy, and he is going off on himself like crazy. You know, I'm, I'm beating him kind of bad in the first game. We play three games. And I said, Lord, 
help. I mean, he's cussing. I'm like, forgive him. I forgive him, Lord. If, you know, you said if I forgive him, their sins are forgiven. I forgive him for that one. And, and he's just like, he's, he's just so out of control. You guys going to kill me 15 to nothing. I suck. You know, I mean, it was bad. And I said in the middle of that game, I said, Lord, I give you racquetball. I don't know what you want to do with this guy, but if you can use me to help this guy, I give you racquetball. And <laughs> he beat me the next two games. But see, my light doesn't shine to a guy like that if I win every point. Because I got no reason to say I suck and to get all upset and to punch the wall. I mean, he's doing all these things. I thought he was going to break his racket. I can't shine my light unless God puts me in a place where I can show him something different. And I mean, I can't find my, almost said my butt. I can't find my butt with both hands in there. I'm so much better a player than this guy. I can't win. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, Lord. I didn't know this is what it was like, you know. <laughs> I, I played on Saturday. I played uh, five games yesterday. I won one. One. And, and two of the ones I lost were the guy I clobbered, the state champ guy the week before. And the Lord is showing me. He's like, this is what it, I mean, it's so stupid. It's just racquetball. I understand. After the racquetball game against the guy on Tuesday in the league, right? I'm part of a team. So when I win, it doesn't just affect me. It affects these other guys. And the last two points, I was down 13 to 5. I got ahead 14 to 13. His 14th point, if you know racquetball, a rollout is the perfect shot. It hits the wall just above the floor, and you can't get it because it rolls out. He hit the ball so bad, it flew back, it rolled out on the back wall. Fluke, 14. 15th point, he carried the ball with his racket. It's, it should have been my point. But he, he, wasn't, he wasn't a cheater. He never, ever tried to steal a point. He just probably didn't know. I wanted to say so bad. Hey, you... And the Holy Spirit stopped me. I'm telling you, I'm like, oh, I lost to this guy all both games. I went out and I sat down at this little table outside the court. I got my eyes closed and Annika comes with me. And she was reading her book while she's sitting there and she looks up at me. She says, Daddy, do you have a headache? Are you okay? I said, I'm praying that I'll practice what I preach. <laughs> it's just stupid racquetball. But it matters to me. But it's, I, I, I don't have a life anymore. It's, it's God, my witness... It, my life is his life. I saw you laugh. I have a little maybe, but it's only because I haven't turned it all over yet. <sighs> this was supposed to be different than this. <laughs> John chapter 3, verse 30. John the Baptist, his, his, his disciples, these guys that were John's disciples that followed him around, that, that understood who he was, that were just, you know, John's disciples. They notice that John is the baptism guy. And they notice that there's less people for him to baptize. This other guy, this Jesus that he baptized, all the people are going to get baptized by Jesus. And actually, it wasn't even Jesus. It was his disciples that were doing the baptism. So they come to him. They're like, hey, what's going on? You know, we're the baptized guys, but now all the people are going over there. And John's words to his disciples were, he must increase, but I must decrease. So that's, that's the altar call. I should have called Isaac up here. Maybe he's up here. Nobody's up here. That's all right. Imagine keyboard music. Seriously, music is so powerful. It, it, it's really powerful. It's not a gimmick. It's very powerful. Bad music is very powerful, too. If you listen to bad music, you need to stop because it's... Okay. All righty. 
When you hear me change on the recording, you'll know why. Here's the altar call. Here's where you're checking that, that, that revelation that came from heaven. You ask the Lord now to show you where you're at relative to being the salt of the earth, being this preservative that he's assigned. See, I haven't said this in a while, but I used to say it all the time. People come up to me and they'll say, you know, um, boy, you have a nice church or, you know, your church this or your church that. And I'd stop. I say, don't call it my church because if you think it's my church and something needs to be done, you think you're doing me a favor if you do it, right? But if it's your church, which it is, by the way, it's your church. It's not my church. Really, it's Jesus's church. But it's our church our responsibility to someone that needs ministry. Oh, you know, pastor beeper button, call a pastor. No, if it needs to be done, if you think it's my church, you'll go get me to do it. But if you understand that you're called no different than I'm called, then you'll see that it's your calling that needs to answer for that thing. Same thing with Jesus. See, when he's talking to us about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world and having our good deeds so shine, our light so shine before men that, that the father gets glory He's not saying it in such a way that if you choose to do it today, you know, you know what? I think, Jesus, I'm going to go be salty today. But, but tomorrow I got this party I want to go to. No, you know, I'm playing racquetball tomorrow, Jesus. I, you know, I, I don't like to lose to the guy that I'm better than. He's not, it's not, he's not asking you to decide. It, you've decided. When you said, Lord, you decided. So that's the gap you're looking for. When he calls you to a place where he needs you to be light, where he needs that saltiness to preserve. When you get on your knees in the morning and you pray, Lord, this country has got to repent. It's because you're being salt. Lord, if you if you reelect President Obama or you elect Mitt Romney or some guy we don't even know about. Then we're going to pray for that man or that woman, that person, Lord, to have your heart and to know you because our, our country is rotting and decaying. You're salt when you pray for President Obama. That's the thing. That's the altar call right now. That's the thing that you're looking for. Lord, am I answering your call to be salt? Am I willing to be salted with fire and to allow you to take and burn up those spots and burn off those wrinkles so there's another place in me that looks like you? And when he calls you, will you go? See, we're about seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he's about caring for our business and behind. Guy told me a story, Mike, told me a story this week about his daughter's in the hospital and she's dying. And he's crying out to the Lord for her to be well. And the Lord spoke to him and he said, go give what you need. He got up. He didn't wait. He didn't ponder. Is that the Lord? Isn't it the Lord? It's at nighttime. He goes out into the hallway and he walks to the next room and he pushes the door open. And he looks through the door and there's a man in that room. And they make eye contact. He says, can I pray for you? The man says, yes. He goes and he, and he prays for that man. He, he fervently asks God to give to that man what he needs for his daughter. When he finished and went back into his room, guess what happened? You got that right. Why? Because he was seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. He understood that he surrendered to God for God's purpose. And as he walks out God's purpose, his needs are cared for. Father, I pray for each and every one of us. 
Lord, you've, you've shown us the truth. The truth is that, that we are the salt of the earth. And we are the light of the world. And that we will be salted with fire. Your word says that we will be baptized in the Holy Spirit and baptized in fire. If you imagine some kind of imperfection on you and then you go down into that fire and the things that aren't perfect, that aren't like Jesus, can't stand the fire and up you come again and the part that's like Jesus can stand anything. But the part that's, like the, that's not like Jesus, it can't stand that fire. And you come out of the fire and you hate it in the fire, but, but you got better for it. Consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work. Why? So that you might be complete and mature and lacking nothing. That, that the, the lampshade comes off your light. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for fire. Thank you for the opportunity to be salt, the opportunity to be light. Thank you that you have given us everything we need to go and have the presence of our good works magnify and glorify our Father in heaven. I pray, Lord, that any gap between your truth and our reality gets closed to the place of your truth. Thank you, Lord. And now, now just real quickly, everybody just turn towards this way, right over here. Extend your hands out this way. We're going to start to release blessing. Lord, we bless in your name the Miambos, Lord. Every good thing, every perfect gift that you've given us, Lord, we release it over the Miambos. We call, Lord, for the soil to become fertile in the village, Lord. For the rains to come from the sky. Your word says that your sun and your rain, it falls on everybody, Lord. We're asking for the rain to fall on the soil. Good soil, Lord. We ask that the soil of people's hearts be prepared to receive the seed of your word. That they may come to repentance. They may come to know Jesus as Lord. And they come to believe Jesus as Savior. Lord, we ask for fruitfulness. And Lord, we ask for calm waters in the hearts of the Miambos. That the the weightiness of hungry people, of addicted people, of hopeless people, isn't their way to carry, it's your way to carry. We start now, but we don't stop. We bless them in Jesus' name. We bless them in Jesus' name. We encourage them in Jesus' name. We say, well done. We're so honored and so blessed to see you work through them, Lord Jesus. And we pray in your name, in your name, amen.